is Actually You Are a Real Runner with Jacqueline Riccio. Today I chat with metabolic reset expert Kim Shaper. This episode is amazing. We cover some pretty heavy topics, but in a very accessible way. Kim has been through it all. Depression, anxiety, over-medicated, anorexia, binge eating, healing her hormones throughout all these periods of life. What I love about her is she is an open book and will teach you anything you need to move forward with fitness, with food, or with the shit we say to ourselves in our head. Life is really hard, and I think that we think that we'll get to a point where everything is perfect, and sometimes we think that we can do it on our own, um, but it's so amazing to find someone who has been through the same struggles, who can reach back and give us that hand that we need to move forward. Um, you're going to love today's episode. Let's get started. Today, I'm really excited. I have on the podcast, Kim Schaefer, who is a personal trainer, online coach, and hormone and metabolic expert. Kim, how are you doing today? Hello, hello. How's it going? Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited too. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I love to tell people too, because I think that we can get caught up into the social media world, but we all, we connected on social media through our uh, business coach. And I, I love being able to talk with people like in real life and social media. It's not just this like <laughs> square that you see, though I'm seeing it. Totally agree. Right now. It definitely works in your advantage sometimes. Yep. Yeah. So Kim, um, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast because I think that watching your story on Facebook, Instagram, I've learned so much about you in the struggles that you've had, the lows, the highs, and we're always going through those things. It's never this perfect thing happening in life. But I like to get started and just kind of hear about what fitness, food, exercise, body image, what were those things like for you in the beginning? Like way back, high school, maybe even before high school, what were things like back then? Yeah, sure. Um, first off, thank you so much again for having me. And uh, your audience is, is very lucky to have you. So thanks for always putting out such amazing content. You're awesome. So, um, so yeah, a uh, quick little backstory. Um, you know, I think the first thing that comes to my mind, and, and I love my mom dearly, don't get me wrong. I, I think a big part of a lot of my disordered eating to begin with at such a young age was um, kind of replicating what my mom was doing. Um, I saw her doing a lot of bodybuilding shows. I saw her um, just really obsessively exercising and um, really just kind of at a different level than the way I saw my friend's uh, mothers. Uh, I remember she would eat like just baby food for her shows and just random stuff like that. So uh, it never really came to front and center until I got a little bit older. Did I realize some of those behaviors became triggersome for me? Um, no, no, I'm not trying to blame shift, but just kind of calling it for what it is based on my environmental standpoint. Uh, you know, so I think from, from a younger age, I've always seen my mother uh, exercise a ton. Um, and so she would at times like say, Hey, I'll pay you 20 bucks if you go with me to the track or I'll pay you this if you do this and no fault of her own. She was doing the best she knew how based on the way she was raised. She had a very traumatic childhood. So that was her, her coping mechanism. Um, but you know, if I was to go back and look as to when everything started kind of unraveling a little bit, um, it really wasn't until my fresh, my, sorry, my sophomore year of college, um, throughout high school, always super active. Um, I ran cross country and track. I played soccer and tennis and I was really happy. Like things were good. Um, I never really had issues with my weight. Um, I love to eat and yet I love to be active and it was never really like, okay, let me deprive myself here or do 
this. Um, I'll tell you, I think a big reason why I got into the training industry was clearly because I did not want to replicate what had happened to me. So a uh, little story. I went to run cross country and track at a small liberal arts school called Brevard College my freshman year. And it was fine. Everything was good. Um, however, I ended up gaining about 15 pounds when I quit track, came home and I'm like, gosh, you know what? Okay. I, I, I don't like this. And, you know, I, I hate using numbers, but it's like, okay, everyone talks about the freshman 15. And so uh, my mom said, Hey, you know, I'm going to start with this trainer. Why don't you come with me? So it's like, all right. So I started with this trainer, first time ever really lifting weights. Um, I actually really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, my body changed pretty quickly because I had never really done it before. Uh, the, the trainer at the time, uh, you know, I, I think he did the best he knew how, but just a, a guy, um, just real caught up in the bodybuilding industry, um, very restrictive type mindset. Um, so it never really occurred to me that my binging was a, a result of restriction. So again, I had never really dealt with that throughout my, my high school years and first year of college. So um, he put me on a really restrictive diet um, consisting of five foods. And so, you know, I, I went with that. And uh, again, I saw really quick results because I'd never done that before. So um, I ended up uh, working with him through the summer until my sophomore year of college and before I went back to college, you know, I would, on the weekends, I would be very hungry. And so I would, I would binge on pizza or um, tons of pasta or what have you. And um, again, not really understanding the, the, the physiological aftermath of restriction. So I just went with it. Um, and then I would go into the gym and he'd say, you know, you gain weight, you know, you look swollen, you ate too much. And so then it was back to, okay, well, I got to go back to this five food diet. And so um, I got a ton of praise around that time. Um, people are like, oh my gosh, Kim, you know, you look amazing. How did you get so fit? Um, you know, what are you doing? And so I, I really took that and shoved that in my back pocket and, and kept those with me as I went back to college. So I went uh, to a new school. I went to University of Alabama. Um, so a big change from 700 students to about 35,000 students. And so I did the sorority thing and whatnot. And that was a lot of pressure as well. And for me, a big part of my relationship with food uh, was in correlation to the relationships I was in. So um, the majority of the time I was in and out of very abusive relationships, whether they be physical, mental, emotional, what have you. And the guy at the time I was dating was just, um, just a narcissist and very controlling and loved to put me down. So um, I really took that diet that that bodybuilder had given me to the extreme. So I ended up um, losing a ton of weight. I got down to about 75 pounds, which for my size, I'm 5'4", um, was, was very low for me because I tend to hold quite a bit of muscle. Um, so my parents pulled me out of school and they're like, we're putting you in treatment. So I went to treatment. The, the problem with the treatment centers is once you regain the weight, it comes on pretty quickly once you start eating. So for me, um, once I regain the weight, they're like, okay, you're fine. We'll pull you out of the treatment center. So it was very hard because I really didn't develop any sort of skills. It was more or less, okay, put the weight on you. Insurance is like, okay, you're healthy now. Peace out. This numbers thing. Like, yeah. okay, cool. So you lost this weight, getting the external validation from people. Look, she's thin treatment center. Oh, look, she put on weight. She's fine. Everything's great. But no one knowing like what's going on in her head. What's the relationship right. with food? 
Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yep. And, and the, the treatment center I was in at the time is in Atlanta and, uh, you know, they're pretty quick to put me on medication as well. So I was a bit over medicated. And then again, I had not really developed any sort of coping mechanism. So I got out of treatment. Sure. I was at a normal weight, but my headspace was still in the same spot. So I ended up doing the exact opposite. And, uh, it's very interesting what happens with the body and brain when you starve it for as long as I did. Um, I ended up going to the other extreme, so I gained quite a bit of weight and got to about 185 uh, within a year. Uh, and and I, I hate using numbers in here, but I think it's just kind of an important so people understand. Um, my, my normal weight's always around 130, 135. So for me, that was a big jump to the opposite end of the spectrum, especially in such a short period of time. So it was very interesting how the mind worked because uh, anytime I felt hunger, I thought I was anorexic again. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to eat. I got to eat. And even though I had just finished a whole meal and even though I was much heavier than I had ever been in my entire life, it was still that fear of feeling hunger. I thought, oh my God, I'm back to where I was. And so it was just really interesting how the brain works in that regard. Um, and it just kind of goes to show that, that psychologically, I still was not in a good place. So, you know, long story short, um, throughout my 20s, I really lost a lot of my 20s. I was in and out of several treatment centers. I was in and out of six uh, throughout my 20s um, for not only eating disorder, but just severe depression, um, suicide tendencies, um, anxiety, um, all of that. And then I went one more time in the, uh, at, at 32 from just some PTSD from uh, this divorce I went through, which was pretty bad. So, you know, I think, again, the, the whole issue around the, the food and the coping and all of that, it was, as, as we know, it was never really about the food. It was about so much more than that and the means of control and the means of um, trying to gain my self-esteem and approval from everything external rather than kind of digging and looking within myself and seeing how, what do I need to do to heal internally first. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you're going to treatment facilities – Mm-hmm. They're giving you like a meal plan or telling you how many calories to meet to like put that weight back on. So how did you make this mindset shift if you, you figured out that that's what you needed to do to work on yourself and you weren't getting that there? Or did you go to a treatment center that gave you that? How did like what changed uh, that? Yeah, sure. Such a great question. You know, I think there's a, if I go back and think, I'm 40 now, if I go back and think throughout the course of my 20s and early part of my 30s, um, there was a long period of time where I really didn't want to get better. Um, I, I needed the treatment because uh, I, I just had such high anxiety, especially in uh, just everyday life. Um, and even when I got out of treatment centers, I would be there for six months to a year. Um, so for me, the everyday life became very anxiety provoking. So I would say there's two main catalysts in my 20s that kind of was a pivotal moment for me. One being I went to this treatment center called Menninger's, and they're they're very well known for um, um, just how the brain works uh, a lot about. They didn't focus so much on the eating piece, which was good for me at, for a change because it was so much more than just the eating. So we really dove into the depression and the anxiety. And at that time, I got on a medication that worked really, really well for me. So that helped me a ton. Um, but I still was caught up in, okay, externally, I have to be perfect. And so I dove into 
um, fitness shows and I still was dieting and I was still doing all the things that essentially wasn't really healing me. Um, it was like I wanted my cake and eat it too. So even though psychologically I might have been functioning at a decent level because of the medication I was on, um, it didn't dismiss the fact that I was still engaging in self-destructive behaviors. So, you know, I would say it wasn't until I went to my final treatment center in the early part of my 30s where I'm like, you know what, like enough is enough. I cannot do this anymore. Like I was, I was exhausted. Um, one other thing too is uh, at, at, 30, at 32, um, I got married at 29 with my first husband and at 32, um, we divorced and he ended up living a double life. I knew nothing about it. And I think... Um, he was going to murder me and it was a whole crazy story. So anyways, with that, I definitely had some like PTSD stuff with that. And um, I just crashed and burned. Uh, I really, I don't know if you talk much about hormones or adrenals or cortisol and so forth, but um, throughout my twenties, yes, it was all about the eating and whatnot. But, but I feel like um, once I got into my thirties and I was going through this divorce, um, I dove really heavy into triathlon training because exercise and fitness was my coping mechanism. So during that time I dove into the triathlons and I wasn't eating and I was drinking copious amounts of caffeine. And then a year later I just crashed and burned big time. I couldn't get out of bed. I was sleeping all the time. Um, I, my body was just done. And so I'm like, okay, I have to go to a treatment center and just heal myself. I've got to. So I went to a place, unfortunately, they're still not around, but it was called Brookhaven in um, Tennessee's all women's facility. I was there for three months and it changed my life. It really healed me from the inside out. And the, the food was a small component, but it was about just working through a lot of my trauma and emotional stuff. And um, they weren't big medication pusher, pushers, which was nice. So I think from, from that moment on, it's been, it's been a slow progression. And to be quite honest, it's been doing a lot of the stuff that I haven't wanted to do or, or anything I've really done in the past. So the treatment centers were nice, but when you get out, that's when the real work happens. So for a year straight, I went to therapy twice a week, every week, even when I didn't want to go, I put in the work and I still put in the work and I still try um, every day. And um, I, I don't think it ever fully goes away. Um, you know, there are times I still struggle with depression, especially around the winter time. Um, there's times where, um, I get really down or where I'm like, uh, I'm not feeling my body right now. It's, I wish I could look a little bit better or whatever it may be. Those thoughts are still there. They don't ever fully go away, but it's a matter of how I choose to work with them and how I choose to give myself compassion, um, around that and not putting so much emphasis on Okay, how, how perfect do I look versus, okay, what am I doing? How am I showing up? How am I supporting others? How am I taking care of myself in a more like holistic, organic, healthy way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's huge. Um, and it, it's so helpful to hear that, like the pressure to feel perfect, because I think that, I think all women can relate to that, that pressure, that pressure mm -hmm. to look perfect, to get everything done, to be that A++ student all the time. And then what happens? We crash and burn. And so, um, and I love how you said that, like those thoughts can't come up still. Like it's so, I think that that too, that's helpful to hear that you're not broken if those thoughts come up, but you have oh. the tools. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So I know you talked about like practicing compassion. I think sometimes it's helpful to hear like, what are the sentences? Like what's the inner chatter that's going on to get your, like to dig yourself out of that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, 
Sure. Such a great question. So one thing that helped me immensely was DBT, which is dialectical behavioral therapy. And I swear by that, it helped me so much once I got out because not only, uh, I'm sure you've probably heard of like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is all about the thoughts, whereas dialectical behavioral is really tools, tools that you can tangibly use. And so one thing I remember, and I use these quite a bit, is number one is um, is uh, the please skills. So are you it, it, basically what that means is are you taking care of yourself on a foundational level? So typically when we're much more um, emotional and vulnerable, it's because uh, something in our life is unbalanced. So whether we are um, not sleeping enough, whether we're not eating enough, whether we're not moving in a way that feels good for us, whether we are um, you know dealing with major life stressors, whatever it may be, I have found that that uh, as as women we're emotional creatures, and so we can regulate our emotions and our thoughts much better when we have the foundation in place. So again, when we're eating well, when we're exercising, when we're getting outside in nature and we're getting sun, when we're laughing and spending time with others and having that community. Um, all those are so important and people often neglect those, but I think those are huge dial mover movers if you just bring it back to the basics and that helps a ton with just our emotional regulation. Um, another thing too that I love, just a really simple grounding technique. Like if anyone's ever feeling anxious or they're there, it's easy for our thoughts to get like, just, just go crazy. Right. So, um, when I'm having more negative thoughts, I'm like, okay, what's going on. Usually it's when I'm time traveling. So usually it is when I'm thinking about the future and it brings anxiety or when it's, I'm, when I'm depressed and I'm going back to a past event. So I literally will look at my feet and I'm like, okay, where are my feet right now? Okay. I'm at this top shop. I'm sitting outside. It is, you know, um, almost one o'clock. So I'll look at my feet and that really brings me back to the present moment. And it prevents me from having all those anxiety provoking thoughts. Um, and then another one too is opposite action. That's a big, wasn't big one as well. And I feel like that's, um, a great way to build our resilience and our confidence. So a lot of times we want to do what's familiar because our brain wants a landing pad. We want to know. And I, you look at it as two different paths, right? You have one path that is um, smoothly paven and there's no branches in the way and you don't have to move rocks. And then you have this other path where there's tons of woods, there's tons of debris. You have to push stuff aside. And a lot of us don't want to go down that route yet. We feel like we have to because the smooth paved route is no longer working for us. So even though that path might've worked for us at some period of time, even if it's bringing us destructive behaviors or, um, or ruining our life in some form or fashion, it's still easier to go to that path because that's what we know. Yet I think there's, there's a gap when women get to a point where they're like, okay, that path isn't working anymore. No matter how many times I keep going back to that path, something's off. So then it's, it's, you have to make a conscious choice to say, okay, let me try that other path. Let me try and just push some of that stuff aside. Let me work through some of the discomfort. Let me be willing to get a little bit uncomfortable and, and change my mindset with a few things to really be open and respect receptive to new ways of viewing things versus it just being so black or white or so, um, restricted. Uh, so I like that. And so by the opposite action piece, it's literally doing the opposite of what you want to do. So for myself, when I was obsessively exercising, um, for me, it was like my way of coping 
was running, but not running for therapeutic reasons, running to literally run from the problems. Mm -hmm. And so I would force myself to, when I felt those moments coming on, that instead of literally running from my problems, I would go and I would have a conversation with my partner, or I would deal with something that's uncomfortable rather than going down that other route. And what people find is over time, that path, the path that, that feels so arduous and have to, you have to move everything around, it slowly gets easier. And then the less you want to go down that other route that felt so uncomfortable to begin with, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's such a good visual with the branches and the things and the, the smooth path and just kind of thinking of like the neural pathways in our brain like that, like makes it so real. And I just think about too, like the, the muscle, the muscle you gain from doing those hard things, from moving the branches, like the strength that you gain in doing that. Um, if I can say one more thing too, yeah. one thing that I found that works really well for my clients, and I know it might sound silly, but um, we get so, again, we get so stuck in our thought patterns. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of, we just got to break it up. So we got to change our, 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 our brain pathways. And so one thing I'll have my clients do, if they're right-handed, I'll have them right with their left hand at some point. Or if they're used to taking a certain route home, I'll have them take another route home. Or doing something that's out of the ordinary, that's outside of the box to, to force them to kind of snap out of their their obsessive thinking yes that's mm -hmm. huge mm -hmm. I do that sometimes like I'll drive I'll just drive a different way let me just see yeah. else about the city to get out of this negative thought mm -hmm. circle that's happening mm -hmm. I love that so I want to talk a little bit about so you said that there was a big fluctuation in your weight you were from 75 pounds up to 185 and then to your normal weight I have a lot of clients that are kind of in that bigger body right now and they feel uncomfortable. They hear other people saying things to them, whether it's their mom, their mother-in-law, mm -hmm. um, or sometimes they'll look at a picture of themselves and think, oh my gosh, everyone must be saying these things about their, my body. Mm -hmm. Had you dealt with any of that? Do you have tips on what to do with that? Those other people saying things about your body or you saying things about your body when it's it feels uncomfortable and bigger. Sure, sure. So when you say other people saying stuff about their bodies, are you referring to um, people saying, okay, you need to lose weight or you need to do this or that? Okay, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's a tough one because uh, I think my mom will always be a bit of a trigger for me. Um, and so I still find that it might come up in her mind, yet does she say it? I don't know. Um, so I have to just kind of watch my language around her. And if when I'm in a vulnerable place, I, I choose not to be around her. So I think with your clients, um, when they know there are certain people in their life that are triggersome to them, instead of dipping their hand in the fire when they're already feeling vulnerable, just they have to really set solid boundaries with those people, even if they're family members, just so they don't get triggered. Um, I think that's important because we can't always change the person, but we can change how we choose to show up and how we choose to act around those people. Um, so again, definitely when your clients are feeling super vulnerable or uncomfortable, um, you just got to set those boundaries for sure. Um, I also think too, like I, I go back to the time traveling piece because um, it's easy to focus solely on the goal at hand versus focusing on the journey. And I know that's so cliche, um, but so many times we fixate on that end goal. Like, okay, when I lose 20 pounds, only if I get to this size, only when I can finish this race versus experiencing the journey and learning to be the person that has that identity. So, so many times we base our goals from the outcome in. 
So instead of it being, okay, focusing only on the outcome, which is again, weight loss or finishing a race or doing that, you got to first focus on the internal end. So how do you show up in that identity? Well, okay, if you are someone that wants to run a race, instead of saying, well, I want to be a runner, you start saying, I am a runner and you start acting as if you're a runner, right? So you, you know, a writer didn't become a writer by not doing anything. The writer became a writer by writing every day and doing the grunt work. So I think that goes back to someone that's wanting to change some behaviors and get to a better spot. It's really about the internal. And again, I know it's so cliche, but you have to start with the identity piece. And I think it's tapping into, okay, what is it like morals and values wise? What does that person believe in? What, what do they feel um, brings them joy? What, what makes them feel unique and special aside from just trying to achieve a goal? Because you think about it, people that are solely focused on goal setting, what happens after the goal? They're like, okay, well now what? I got to do another one, right? So they base their identity and their purpose off achieving that goal versus just kind of putting one foot in front of the other. One thing that really helped me a ton when I was not feeling fully comfortable in my body is I would literally just find ways to hone into my senses. So I would um, light incense or I would put um, aromatherapy on or oils, or I would um, do some really self-compassionate things for myself. I would get massages. I would do yoga. Um, I would find other ways to self-soothe myself um, and feel just kind of more in tune with my body. And honestly, there's not like, it's not always going to be, yay, I love my body. Everything's perfect. You know, it's a constant work in progress and sometimes you feel it and sometimes you don't, especially, you know, if there's other priorities going on and, and, you know, trying to, you know, feel fit isn't one of them or, um, you know, there's, there's other things that come up. So I think the biggest piece is going back to your question is um, setting solid boundaries around the people that trigger you. And giving yourself that grace and um, trying to be present in the moment and find your identity, something other than it just being about your goal. That's huge. And I think that, right, like what you said, if once you finish the goal, then there's a new goal, then there's a new goal. But this like, but who am I? Who, um, I keep going back to this quote by Janine Roth and she talks about like, who you are on the journey is who you will be when you arrive. And yes. Yep. If you're a shitty person on the journey, you're gonna be. You're either not going to arrive. You're never actually gonna arrive, or you're gonna be crappy when you arrive and not yep. enjoy. It. You won't even enjoy it. For sure. So there's a quote I will never forget by Tony Robbins, and he said, "I have Academy Award winners. I have multi-billionaires come in, and they are still sad. They're not happy. And I'm like, why aren't you happy? And they said, well. I thought once I achieved X, Y, or Z, then I would be happy. And he goes, well, obviously that didn't work for you, right? And I said, no. And he said, one thing, if I could tell anybody, it would be, you have to stop along your milestones and look at the horizon. You have to look around and see what all you've accomplished rather than solely putting your head down and trying to focus on this in outcome. You have to embrace and, and, and relish in the, the achievements you've made or the, the small outcomes that have come to fruition, that really looking at those things and relishing in those for a minute before moving on because life will pass you by and you're right. If you're, yeah, yeah if, you're, if you're a crappy person, when you're in the midst of it, you're going to be when you arrive. So, or if you do, like you said, mm-hmm. so I think that's really important for, for people to stop, become present and look at all the accomplished accomplishments they've made 
And that might even be just writing them down, just journaling it out so they can go back and they can look at that. Because it's easy when we're with ourselves every day, we forget the, the amount of progress we've made. Yeah, that's huge. The like you are enough as you are now and you can keep working towards more. Cause I think that people were afraid, like, no, if I'm just satisfied with what I have now, I'll never keep going. Mm -mm. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, you can have I mean, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can be content with where you're at and still want to achieve more things. But I, I think when we solely focus our identity and our worth on a goal or an outcome, that's doing ourselves a complete disservice. Versus, yes, we have that goal or outcome, yet we're, we're in the moment. We're allowing ourselves to relish in the moment, embrace what we have, and, and appreciate what we've accomplished. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Mm -hmm. So I want to I talk a little bit more about hormones. That is not my specialty. And I know yeah. that fluctuations in food, in our thoughts, um, as we age, in the exercise we're doing, the amounts, the types, all of those things can really have effects on our body. Tell us a little bit more about the work you do with that. Yeah, so, sorry, there's a huge truck going by. Um, <laughs> so, so that's a biggie too. I, I can tell you, as now, now that I'm 40, um, I have had repercussions because of my pattern. So because I had put my body through the ringer for so long, um, I, uh, so we, we all have a ton of different hormones as females, which is a good thing. We have, um, progesterone, which our progesterone is kind of our calming, um, our calming hormone and it goes in sync with estrogen. So sometimes you hear the word estrogen dominance, right? So that means women are typically more estrogen dominant. They carry more estrogen versus progesterone. So it's a matter of balancing those out. And a lot of women have low progesterone because we're so stressed all the time. So progesterone helps you get pregnant and so forth. So when, when I knew my body was still off, even though I was doing all the things like eating well and exercising appropriately and taking care of myself, I still felt off. I still, you know, felt really bloated. I still felt like I had a lot of gut issues. I couldn't go to the bathroom. Um, you know, I got off birth control and I felt really off. I was having a ton of acne on my face. Um, I felt like I was like 14 again. Um, I just was really moody and um, I just, I, I felt off and our, as I think as females, we often forget how intuitive we are with our own bodies. And so it's easy to, to justify or go to just a regular doctor and they say, no, you're fine. But it's so much more than that. So the, the progesterone piece, when I, I finally got all my hormones tested and I was really low in progesterone, which made sense because I had high anxiety. And this is where it's also fascinating to me because um, our hormones um, are directly tied with our neurotransmitters, which is in our brain. And so for a long time, I was so over-medicated um, when in actuality, a lot of it was hormone dysregulation. So prime example, a lot of my depression came from hypothyroidism. So I had a thyroid issue. And when women have thyroid issues, we're typically more depressed. So once I got on a thyroid supplement uh, or medication, it made a significant difference in my mood. Um, same with progesterone. I had massive anxiety. Well, once I got put on progesterone um, and GABA, which is a calming herb, it really, or calming neurotransmitter, amino acid, um, it made a significant difference in my anxiety. Um, and then I also started really taking care of my liver. So I was eating a lot of cru crucifix vegetables and um, drinking a ton of water. And, you know, of course, our liver, liver detoxifies itself. But sometimes when we have estrogen buildup or when we're unable to go to the bathroom, there's a lot of bile and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of backup. And so when our liver 
can't flush through and detoxify, um, that causes a lot of hormone imbalances as well. So I really focused on that stuff. So for me, um, yes, fitness will always be a part of my life. Yes, the eating disorder story will always be with me. Yet as I've gotten older and the more clients I've worked with, I've noticed that a lot of women, no matter what they're doing, even though they're eating well and exercising appropriately, something's still off and they just know it. So it's really my mission to, to have my, my team of experts help women really to figure out at a cellular level and deeper level, hey, what's going on? Because you're the, the regular OBGYN or your gynecologist, they might run tests. They don't test for everything, I'll tell you that, but they run tests and a lot of times they come back and say, okay, they're normal, your labs are normal, but yet what's normal? If someone's symptomatic, it's not normal for them. So a lot of times these, these regular doctors, the conventional doctors, their standards for blood work are just suboptimal. They essentially, if you think about it, they just want to keep you alive. Whereas for it, because they, they're concerned about heart issues and stuff like that. Whereas more functional medicine based, more natural top natural pathic medicine is more about, okay, how can we optimize you? How can we make you feel your best? Prime example, vitamin D. Vitamin D in the conventional Western medicine is anything um, under 50 is okay. Whereas in functional medicine, you want to be above 70 for vitamin D. So again, it's very, it's either just somewhat suboptimal or optimal. So that's a huge piece of what I'm doing right now because I absolutely feel like as we get older, um, when coming off birth control, birth control is a huge thing right now that can really throw off women's hormones. Um, so now they're saying that even the copper IUD can create a lot of toxic stuff in your body. And so, um, you know, it's really just my mission to not only provide help for those that have dealt with eating disorders, but also women who, again, are, are doing all the things, but something's off and they need answers. And I spent years trying to get to the bottom of that. And so that's why I was saying it's been like an ongoing journey for me because I've, I've really put a ton of time and effort into figuring out what else is going on with my body. And so, um, yeah, that's a, a big part of my mission now is really helping women dig even deeper. Um, yeah. So. One of the things that I've been talking about a lot is how there isn't one certain thing that defines us. And that's the thing that it keeps coming across in hearing you speak is that you are not just your, you are not just an eating disorder. You are not just a triathlete. You are not just gut issues or hormone issues. Like it really is so many different sides. And then, like you said, like it's this journey, it's this process. There's never this like cool. Everything is perfect. No, no, there's <laughs> not. You're right. And so yeah. true. I think, cause I think so many times people want to know, okay, well, how did you get to this point? Well, honestly, excuse me, it's a fucking lot of hard work and it's been, it's been me, you know, learning and researching. And it's also been there, there hasn't really been any aha moments. It's just been, I think over time you learn and then you know, there's still more to learn. And it's, and that's why I'm such an advocate for whole health. It's not just one area. Women think, okay, if I just do this, then that's going to work. No, it's like, okay, are you taking care of your mental health? Are you taking care of your emotional health? What are you doing for your spirituality if you have a belief? What are you, what are you putting in your body? Um, how are you regulating your stress? You know, so there's so many components to all this. And, and that's why I feel like when, when coaches are so quick to give out these macro plans or these workout plans, I feel like they're doing their clients a disservice because every client is different. So if I was to run labs with my doctor and have her look at someone's and they have super high cortisol, if I would have put them on a, an extreme hit exercise routine, 
they'd be fried out and they wouldn't see the results they wanted. So that's why I think it's so important to look at the labs, do blood work, see what's going on with the client from a cellular level, a blood level. That way you can really fine tune and maximize the client's potential. I, that's so key what you said because macros are huge right now and getting a macro coach and it can be helpful, but not in the long term because there's so yeah. much pieces and it's not really actually just about the food and the calories. No. Like, <laughs> but seeing if you think about it too, it's easy for people to focus on that when they're deflecting from something else. So I have, I, I've honestly had a lot of women in, in my, uh, in my time of, of training they're so fixated on losing those last five pounds, but yet it's not the five pounds. It's the fact they don't want to have a difficult conversation with their husband, or it's much easier to focus on the cellulite than it is to um, figure out what's going on with their kids' behavioral problems. So it's, you know, I think when we become so obsessed and fixated on one area, it's like, okay, well, what are we choosing to numb out and ignore in other areas of our life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How is your life going to be any different when you lose those five pounds? Like <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you work with women in person and online as well? Yeah. So I would say, I would say 97% of my business is um, online. I still have a few clients I I take care of here in Atlanta, but yeah, the majority of my clients are online. So yes. And then what what does that look like if someone works with you? Is it group coaching, one-on-one coaching? Yeah, amazing. Thanks for asking. So actually right now I'm about to launch or I just started. Um, it's my, my uh, program's open for my four-week hormone reset program, which I'm super passionate about. It starts Monday, May 13th. And so what it essentially entails is um, four masterclasses. I'm doing a deep dive into um, ways to detoxify your, your mind from obsessive thinking and so forth. Um, I talk a ton about nutrition and gut health hormones. And then I also have about six to seven different experts coming in and talking about, um, you know, issues around the birth control pill. And um, I'll be covering a ton about gut health with an expert, um, the, the physiological response to stress within the body. And um, so I'm, I'm really, really pumped about that because I think it's going to really, really tackle so many things on such a deeper level that not a lot of people are willing to talk about. So that's really exciting. So that starts on Monday. And then I also do one-on-one coaching as well. So um, I make sure that when I work with the women that they also either they have labs already done or they work with my doctor to get their labs drawn. So that way I can really customize their nutrition and their fitness and what they need exercise. Otherwise it's kind of a waste um, because I like to see what's going on from a hormonal perspective and as well as like if they have mineral deficiencies and so forth. So that's a biggie too. So yeah, I would say one-on-one and then the the four week hormone reset program is really going to be a big one. That's from, from a cost effective standpoint. That's the way to go for that one. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's really evident how much you care about people and then not just losing the five or 10 pounds because that's not going to change your life with this holistic approach. Mm, yeah, it's, I mean, gosh, it's just all so interconnected. It's just unbelievable how it all just works in sync. And, and we know it, like, I, I don't think, I posted about this the other day. It's like, I, I think women don't realize how good they're actually supposed to feel. Until they feel good, they're like, whoa, that's how I'm supposed to feel. I'm not supposed to feel run down and exhausted and overwhelmed and bloated and gross. You know, like there's, it, there, we're supposed to feel a certain way. And I think women forget that. I really do. So it's, it's really my mission to optimize these women in a way where, 
what I've done and share all my tools and implementations over the last 20 years and be able to provide it for them in a shorter period of time and really have my, my team of experts to help them as well, which is really important for me too. That's awesome. I love yeah. that. Okay. So if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Where are you most active? Yeah, you know, I would say probably Instagram is my biggest. So um, it's Kim.Shaper, S-C-H-A-P-E-R. And then they can also find me on Facebook as well, Kim Shaper. Um, and then I have a website, www.KimShaper.com. And yeah, those are the three things, places they could definitely find me. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Kim, I really appreciate you being on the podcast today. It was just yeah, so, so amazing to hear your story, all of the struggles. Cause I think that's the other thing too, is that I could look at you and I could be like, everything must be easy in her life. She has everything together. I will never be like her. And being able to hear all of the struggles that you've gone through, all of the strength that you've built up because of those struggles, like it's really empowering. So thank you. You're so sweet. Thank you. And I also just want to emphasize too that, you know, we're all different, right? Like what looks, what feels right for me is going to be different for you or different for your client that we're not all the same. And so we have to remember that as well. And, and I think it's easy to put women on a pedestal that might look like, they have, you know, shredded abs or they have all these things. But yet I found those are the ones that are honestly the most unhealthy or the, even when I was at that weight, I was the most unhealthy. And so, um, you know, and I think again, the biggest piece is just giving yourself compassion because even though I've come a long way, I still struggle. Like it's not, it doesn't ever go away. So I don't ever want people to put me up on this pedestal that, wow, she's got it all together. No, I don't. I'm just, I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. So I want people to know that too, that, that, you know, a lot of times social media can be smoke and mirrors. It can be a great thing for people. And then other times it can be hard. So, um, just, just, you know, for all your clients, just, you know, they're lucky to have you. And I just want all of them to know just to love on themselves and be kind to themselves. So yeah, yeah. that's perfect. All right, Kim, thanks so much for today. Thank you so much. I get asked this a lot, cool, Jacqueline, imperfect eating, but what does that look like? Like, how do you eat and know how much to eat or what foods are you supposed to eat when you're imperfect eating? Like, should I just be counting my macros? Would that be easier? Like, how do you have pizza in the house? And so what I did, I put 20 super easy and quick meals together into this recipe book for you. These are meals that I've been eating for the last three years. I have not gotten sick of them because I always switch things up. I make it exciting. I make it enjoyable. And I plan my week out in a way where I'm experiencing food. And guess what? I'm also allowed to order pizza pizza. I'm also allowed to travel and I'm also allowed to go to different restaurants. Um, this way of eating has changed my life. We used to spend so much money. We were ordering Grubhub like every night. A lot of the times we just didn't even know what to eat. Like we didn't know what to eat for dinner. So it was easier to order burritos. It was easier to just order pizza every night. We didn't know what to make. And so once I stopped doing whole 30 and I was like, cool, we're going to eat our dinners together. I'm going to figure out what this looks like. I came up with these really easy meals, put them all together. They're things that I enjoy eating, things that my husband enjoys eating, and there's satisfaction in there. Like, it's not like, okay, cool, I'm just eating kale and chicken. Like, there are fun ingredients, but also it's easy. Like, you can get these ingredients at your local grocery store. We used to travel around to, like, Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, and Jewel to get specific ingredients. And now it's like, no, all of these things are available at one grocery store. You won't have to spend all that time and money traveling around. You won't have to spend all of that time on Pinterest. You'll get your ideas from here. 
customize it according to your life. And also with this uh, menu, with this recipe book, it's not just a book. I threw in some videos explaining step-by-step -step how I go about things, how I simplify it so that I have the time and energy to spend on things that are more important than food. Um, healthy habits should add health, not stress. Check out the link in the show notes. So this is Imperfect Eating 20 super quick and easy meal ideas completely free for you. All right, guys, take care.